Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and happy holidays from the Closeness Podcast. I hope this holiday season is not stressing you out and that you're able to find moments of reprieve, pause, and closeness and intimacy with someone that you love or someone who you're starting to explore some things with. We're going to jump back in with a whopping episode of Female Faux Pas Part 2. Just like the 12 days of Christmas, you're going to get 12 faux pas to enjoy. You might have noticed that in between this episode and the last one, there was a nice sensual meditation, a rampage of appreciation. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, it's only 15 minutes and should take you to a happy place. I'd recommend listening to it with headphones or in a quiet place, ideally when you're not driving or operating heavy machinery so that you can relax, sit back and envision a really good time. You'll be seeing more of these meditations in the future and they will also be available for purchase if you want to have a nice little set of intimate sensual experiences from around the world. Now to get back on subject, this is not an episode about bashing women or making them wrong, but we are pointing out areas where everyone can improve. And we all know men and women can both improve in our dating and relationship tactics and behaviors that we have. This just happens to be the one for women. And as such, with all that being said, let's begin several more female faux pas. Faux pas number one is exaggerating, over-exaggerating, highly exaggerating. Side effects may include clinically diagnosing men with psychological conditions whilst being inequipped to do so and massively, massively over-exaggerating. Let's see if you recognize any of this behavior in yourself or your friends. Is your boyfriend a little too preoccupied with himself, a little arrogant, a little proud, or is he the narcissist? Is your boyfriend, partner, or husband a little shy? Maybe he doesn't like big groups, he's a little careless or socially awkward. Or is he a sociopath? Does a guy who you like or your boyfriend enjoy and like women? Or is he the womanizer, a Lothario, one man who suffers from sexual addiction and a man whore? Did you or your girlfriend have consensual sex last night that wasn't as great as you thought it would be, but wasn't dangerous. But rather than moving on from it or having a conversation about it with the man with whom you slept, has he become for you and all of your friends the sexual predator? When a man makes any statement about a woman's body in any way, shape, or form, no matter how sweet, polite, loving, and respectful the comment is intended to be made, but for some reason the way you chose to hear it offended you and hurt you, do you call him the body shamer? If you suggest that you might need to lose a little weight or that you might need to gain a little weight and a man agrees with you, have you been body shamed and humiliated? Does the man you're involved with flirt well and are women naturally attracted to him? Or is he a coercive seducer and manipulator of women? Did you meet a friendly guy at a gathering or a park or an event who, after sharing some lively conversation with you, put his hand on your shoulder or knee with a warm smile out of sincerity and to get a little closer to you? If you were attracted to him sexually, it would be the sexiest thing he could possibly do and you'd want much more. But because you happened to find him unattractive and weren't sexually attracted to him, did you tell all your friends that he groped you with his disgusting hands? Would you be... A- <laughs> uh. Do you have a hard time if a man refers to himself as a king, a dong, a dom, a prince, a deity, or a god? Not the god, but a god, or my favorite, my liege. But you didn't even bat a fake eyelash when you referred to yourself as a princess. 
or a divine goddess. Outside of small gestures such as the popcorn or a cup of coffee, do you pay for anything for your man? But if he tells you he can't afford something, has he become the miser and a cheap bastard? Did a man in broad daylight make you feel a little uncomfortable for whatever reason based on your own emotional set point and his energy? Did you both take responsibility for this interaction and just realize you're not really compatible or not meant to be together? Did you meet someone you didn't like or did he target you and then become a creep with scary energy? So for all of these, what's at stake here? What's manipulative about these faux pas and what's dangerous? about engaging in exaggerating behavior like this is taking your own perception of something, a belief, an idea, an insecurity, a fear, a concern, and amplifying it into language that is poisonous and using it to contaminate beliefs about this person to the rest of the world because you're hurting about something. When the bark is stronger than the bite, when you are accusing someone of doing something that you sometimes don't even know the meaning of and you certainly aren't qualified to diagnose. And in this exaggerating, and I can't emphasize this strongly enough, you can ruin someone's life. Some women do it on purpose. Some women do it for attention. Some women enjoy doing it. And some women don't realize they're doing it because it's become pop culture to use words like this, just like it's become popular to speak. LOL, ROTFL, YOLO, FOMO, and so forth. Now, obviously, this requires a disclaimer. Of course, there are times when every single one of these words are appropriate and should be used and help people decipher when something really is, the key vocabulary here being dangerous and destructive, and clinically diagnosed. This faux pas is almost ubiquitously tied to faux pas number two, which is flinging defaming clinical slander and toxic vocabulary around without understanding the consequences and as if it had no bearing or effect on anything. The water is blue and that man is a narcissist. I'm kind of hungry and he's a sociopath. The combination of these two things, over-exaggerating, especially in a negative way, and flinging dangerous, toxic words around has a devastating effect on your reputation and dramatically changes the way people view the person that you're speaking about. In fact, by spilling poison into your friend's ears, you actually change their opinion of someone and make them fear other people based on these words. And the thing is, it's so easy to get caught up in a moment and get irritated, pissed off, emotional, feel like you want to get revenge and think to yourself, good, this guy deserves it. I want him to suffer. I don't like this person because of XYZ, whatever it is. As you well know, it's very easy to get emotional and caught up in that mindset. But when we use vocabulary that is that potent, that poisonous, and that strong, we make the world a dangerous place. We demonize men, and we make it easier and easier for all women to fear all men. And I'm pretty sure that's not the direction we want to be heading. Now, there's a time and a place to use appropriate words based on psychology, sociology, and when we are actually clinically diagnosed as something. But especially where in the United States, if a man touches a woman's hand, she can call that battery or sexual assault. People take that quite seriously, as they darn well should when the word is used properly. It should be a strong deterrent. It should be a word that inspires people to not want to do it. But when you use it to reference things that aren't even minor infractions, you take not only all the power away from the people who need to use words like that for real events, 
but you dehumanize other men and you make yourself less credible. Whether you're a man or a woman, just feel the effect that the following statements have on your body and how they register in your mind. In each example, we're talking about the exact same action. That man over there touched me on my shoulder. That man over there touched me on my shoulder and I didn't like it. That creepy man over there touched me on my shoulder. That man over there groped me. That man over there manhandled me. I filed a lawsuit against that man for battery. That man assaulted me. How has this man taken shape in your mind's eye? If you're a man, what do you want to do to that other man? If you're a woman, how do you feel towards this imaginary other man who I've described nothing about? Remember, we're speaking about the same action, doing nothing other than touching a shoulder. Very, very different vocabulary and very different reactions and consequences. Life-changing vocabulary, life-destroying vocabulary. So when you share good information, it can get into good hands or bad hands. And my sincere hope is that when you listen to this as a woman, you don't become vindictive and angry and want to hurt people, but that you realize if this happened to you and someone was saying to try to pick something moderately comparable, that woman had sex with him. That woman has had sex with a few people. That chick over there has probably fucked every guy in the room. That woman's a whore. That woman's a slut. That woman will fuck anything that moves. That woman is infested with disease. If you're thinking about hitting that, definitely wear a condom with that chick. So the point is, words matter, and your word choice matters, and it carries weight, especially as a woman. In a world where most of us men want to come to a woman's defense and help her, and want to believe that if a woman is crying or hurt or upset or telling an emotional story, that it must be true. If you're inappropriately or mistakenly using words like this out of context or out of spite or out of anger or because it's what's trendy right now, you are vilifying men. You are making men contemptible and you're making men dislike you. And maybe that's your intention, but if you're someone who's interested in closeness, connection, and love, it's really to your detriment to exaggerate the truth beyond what it is and fling around phrases that are this dangerous. I'll say it one more time a little bit differently because it bears repeating. When someone is raped, you should speak about it as rape. If you've been to a psychologist and someone's been clinically diagnosed as a narcissist, it's probably appropriate to call them a narcissist. And if you listen to this episode, you should make it a point to choose your words wisely. Because more often than not, I hear these phrases and terms thrown around almost daily, whether it's online and social media, through conversations, through gossip, through women sharing stories about other men with me. I can't tell you how often I hear that strong vocabulary. And the sad thing is, is that often this is just simply a gross exaggeration, an opinion, or a bad habit of someone who just uses that word in place of something that's gentler, softer, and doesn't carry the weight and personal defamation that the other word does. It shouldn't take much for you to flip it around and think to yourself, if a man said about you that you were a cunning, manipulative, deceitful woman who would do anything to get a man's money, and then casually started spreading the word that you were a gold digger because he felt like that's what you were in it for. 
Think about the impact that would make on any man who heard that and how men might look at you. And if that rumor spread, how it would influence who would date you, especially if it wasn't even true. We know that words carry power and that words can be poison or they can uplift us and heal us. What is the solution to this problem? Well, it's very simple. I actually strongly recommend reading a book or listening to the audiobook, The Four Agreements, and taking it to heart. If you've already read The Four Agreements, give that section about your word one more listen. Without a doubt, there's a time and place to use these words in an appropriate context. But when these words become part of our everyday vocabulary, in lieu of expressions like, uh, I just didn't like him, we didn't really vibe well together, I also take responsibility for my energy, and we weren't really feeling it. We didn't mesh well. He was a little too self-absorbed for me. I don't think he's ready to commit. I think he likes women a little too much right now. He's still exploring. Let's start substituting warmer phrases like this rather than psychological and clinical terms for which we're not even certain of the definition. Often reserved for people who we think belong in a mental institution. That is what we will call food for thought. Now, faux pas number three is a simple extension of the previous two. It's a little bit silly, but it bears mentioning. Say that one evening I expressed to a girl, I don't like mushrooms. And she says, why? And I say, oh, they kind of taste a little too earthy for me or something like that. Suddenly the next day, when we're talking about it, she's telling a friend that I was freaking out about how much I hated mushrooms the night before. You know, and me, and I think many men take things so literally, if someone describes to another person that you're freaking out, I had better be having a fit, screaming, crying, throwing things in the house. To me, that's a freak out. But simply expressing a dislike for something couldn't be farther from the truth. If you tell me that someone's being very aggressive with you, I'm wondering if they're grabbing you and shaking you and really forcing you into doing something that you don't want to do. If you tell me that someone's coming on too strong, are they calling you four times a day? Are they texting you every hour on the hour where it just won't stop? What is the definition of coming on too strong? Because when someone hears that publicly, it just sounds like the other person should just know better. They should know what's the right amount for you, the perfect time, and what you like. It often makes it sound like this person is violating your personal space or some sort of boundary and is completely unaware of it. And they're just going and going and going and going and not taking no for an answer. Yes, that obviously is being too aggressive or coming on too strong. But we all know that sometimes simply someone following up with you once every other day or giving you a call every few days to you comes off that way. But generally speaking to the world, that's just called a follow-up. Instead of trying to understand where the breakdown in communication is, it makes the other person wrong, it makes you right, it makes you seem like the desirable object, and the other person is just too strong, too aggressive, too overbearing, too creepy, too direct, too shy, too big, too small. It all comes from a place of you being the judge and not seeking to understand the other person. Has it never once crossed your mind to say, I feel like the way you're talking to me or approaching me is coming on a little strong, what works for me is one text every year. What works for me is phone calls only. What works for me is just hearing from you once in a while. What works for me is expressing your interest, but then letting me come to you when I'm ready. What works for me is never answering my phone, always avoiding phone calls, pretending that I don't check my phone all the time, yet magically updating my social media every few minutes, not answering my phone, and then getting really frustrated with people when they ask me where I am or where I've been. 
something that gives a person who's pursuing you an idea of what's going on for you. But because women always play this game of, I'm just being pursued, I'm just being pursued, I just have to react and respond, react and respond to whatever happens to me, no one ever learns. And so you go from bar to bar to bar or club to club or yoga studio to yoga studio with people making the same comments and initiations because they don't know where your boundaries lie or what too much is for you. And the reason why this is so dangerous in today's day and age is because as soon as you give someone a label, the people who you say that to are taking on those beliefs and making that a reality through their perception. Not those times when you've been doing a little late reading on the internet and a couple of articles you read line up with your boyfriend's behavior, so now you've decided to tell all of your friends that he's too aggressive, a narcissist, a sociopath, or what have you. It's called slander, and if you write it down, it's called libel. And you know what else is interesting about all this? It just doesn't carry the same weight in reverse. If any man comes to me or comes to a male friend of mine and says, watch out for that girl, she's a bitch, or she's psycho, or she's crazy, or whatever other epithets are that unfortunately people use for women, I kind of shrug my shoulders and say, so? But I don't feel fear or concern or worry or feel like I have to warn someone else about her, and I certainly don't feel concern or fear for my life. But the words that we've been discussing earlier when used for men are fighting words, and those are also words that scare other women. And when you start using them in conversations, on Facebook, now you've taken this word and given it a shape. You've given it meaning, and you've made this person become something deadly or dangerous. In essence, you've quite literally spread poison. In today's world, we have to realize that giving someone a label sticks. And when it's negative, toxic labels, it's really hard to change that. Even if you say something about someone and later come back and correct yourself, it's too late. That thought and that poison has already sunk in, and people will often carry their first impression much longer than anyone who comes back and rescinds on their initial commentary. All right, our next faux pas also ties into exaggerating, but has nothing to do with other men in this case. What is it? It's minimizing, insulting, degrading, putting down, picking apart, and destroying other women's appearance. In over two decades of listening to what women think of his ex-girlfriend, my ex-girlfriend, that girl on the cover of that magazine, this actress, that girl on the street, if she feels competition, competitive, or that you might want to sleep with her, and we're not talking about a woman who you are not threatened or intimidated by, and we're not talking about a woman who you're certain that your man doesn't want to sleep with. Now, before I say this, I know many of you are very flattering towards other women and call every woman beautiful and all your girlfriends are gorgeous, and that's actually another faux pas as well, which we'll get into. And obviously, if you're very complimentary towards other women and towards other women who you don't know, this doesn't apply to you. However, rarely, if ever, will a woman say, Wow, she is absolutely gorgeous, or she is so beautiful. She's hot. She's exquisite. When it comes to talking about your boyfriend's exes, for example, or another woman who you think he might like, or another woman who you think is his type, there's always this downplaying. And what do you call her, girls? Say it with me now, because you all know the drill. She's cute. Not my type, but I could see why you might find her attractive. Oh, she has really pretty forearms. Her thighs look like cottage cheese, but I'm not judging. 
to be honest, she's kind of disgusting. Well, to be really honest, I'm kind of disgusted because I don't even put her and me in the same category. And I'm going to break up with you now because I can't believe you slept with someone so ugly. And I've seen women do this to what any man would say is a stunning specimen of a woman. Yes, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but you know what you're doing. How nice would it be if sisters could acknowledge their fellow sisters and could say and acknowledge when someone's beautiful, that she's beautiful, that she is gorgeous. Wow, what an attractive woman. Or wow, yes, she's got incredible legs or what a vivacious energy or what have you. No, no, no. Cute. She's all right. That's what you're into. Or my favorite. Look at this. Look at the hands. Look at all of the cellulite and everything. And look how she, she's like short-legged buffalo. She's a short-legged buffalo. I have a model look. Yeah, I have a gorgeous body. Ooh. Let's contrast that level of extreme exaggeration with how you speak about your girlfriends when you want to set them up on a date. And this, ladies, is faux pas number five. Even if you know yourself from social proof that when you go out that you get all the attention or your other girlfriends do and this girlfriend doesn't, it's beautiful to support your friends and it's beautiful to put them up. But when you tell someone or you build up someone's expectation and say that you've got to meet my absolutely gorgeous girlfriend. You're going to love her. She's amazing. Mm, kind of sets a precedent and expectation and sets everyone up for failure and not being the best version of themselves. It makes you look like a liar. It makes your friend appear less attractive because when the man finally meets this woman and his expectations are fallen because you've set the bar so high now he's naturally going to feel disappointed and deflated she's going to feel uncomfortable and not understand why the energy is so weird that type of dishonesty creates problems now this is not an argument for what is or is not gorgeous but it more has to do with the over exaggerating of qualities that you know aren't true when it comes to appearances we obviously shouldn't be cutting people down and we shouldn't be overinflating qualities about people that we simply know aren't true. Honesty without cruelty and with a consciousness of not being mean, but instead being kind, that is healthy authenticity. I would so much rather have a girlfriend tell me any day of the week, you've got to meet my girlfriend. She's got an amazing personality, super cute, perky, friendly. You're going to love her. Then here, you've got to meet my girlfriend. She's absolutely gorgeous. You won't believe how beautiful she is. I think honesty with physical appearance without making a judgment about the physical appearance is both useful and should be socially acceptable. Okay, faux pas number six. Asking questions like, babe, do you think she's prettier than me? Whew. This one can also be referred to as the man trap. You know deep down if that girl is prettier than you or not. Why do you want a man to lie to you and why would that make you feel better? And most importantly, why has it become culturally acceptable to flat out lie to your woman's face because that's what you're supposed to do because that's what she wants to hear? In a situation where a man actually does believe that you are physically, aesthetically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it is, more pleasing than that woman, he'll tell you and it'll be easy to tell you and it'll come off naturally. But if you know, or you doubt, or you question if that's true, or you just simply don't even need to ask, and you put a man in that situation, now there's no right answer. Because now he's either lying to you or being honest. And I'm really not sure which is worse. I know I prefer honesty in the relationship, but this is, again, dangerous territory. 
So here's a solution to this. It's a much, much broader solution than you think than just asking if a girl is prettier than you. Because it ties into everything. Do you think I'm fat? Do you think I look overweight in these pants? Do you think my nose is too big? My breasts are too small? My thighs are too blah, 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 blah. Do you want to have sex with other women? Do you want to open our relationship? Do you want to get a divorce? Do you not want to be together? Do you want to take that job over me? I'm a big, big advocate of telling the truth. But if you can't handle the answer, don't ask. If you don't want to know the answer, don't ask. See, there's a huge difference between sweeping subjects that you're uncomfortable with under the mat and never addressing actual problems that need attention in the relationship versus choosing to not ask something that you just decisively don't want to know the answer to. If you think that you'll be emotionally put down, distraught, hurt, depressed, sad, and hearing this news, don't ask. All right, moving swiftly along to faux pas number seven, we have the I called you but you didn't answer syndrome. Oof, this is a really, really seedy one. And this is where I think we can start to talk about how, like most of these things, the action sounds like the man has done something wrong, but it's rooted in your own insecurity, not the actual behavior of the other person or what he or she is or is not doing. For instance, not being available to pick up someone's phone is not a problem in itself until someone makes it about a bigger issue than it really is. Women have been blessed with an uncanny talent. You all are very good at taking subjects that you feel massively insecure about and convincing a partner, whether it's by throwing a fit, complaining, being frustrated, acting bored, being pissy, bitchy, fussy, negative, irritated, frustrated, or even through sassiness, that it's your partner's fault for quote-unquote making you feel this way. This plays out in so many different ways in our society, but it's really important to understand this idea of forcing shame or guilt onto your partner because you feel uncomfortable about something. It's almost always for something that you believe we should or should not have done or that we ought to do or we're expected to do because that's how you see the world as working. And you feel that if we would have done it, it would have made you feel more secure. So I called you, but you didn't answer. So therefore, I had to go fuck someone else. I called you, but you didn't pick up, so now I'm mad. I called you, but you didn't answer, so now I had to go hang out with my other guy friend. I called you, but you didn't answer, so I just assumed that all of our plans that we had put together for the last three weeks had been totally canceled because you didn't answer. I told you I was coming to California, but I didn't say when and where and when I'd be in your city, and you didn't give me the response back that I was looking for, so I didn't bother to call you when I was here. I called you, but your phone was off, so I assumed that you were having sex with someone else. I called you, but you didn't answer, so now I'm not responding to your texts or messages anymore. This is such a game that only has losers involved. I, it just boggles my mind that it even exists. In my head, the only time that responses like that are appropriate is if you are standing in front of my face and you say, do we still have plans for tonight or tomorrow? And I say, God, no, I absolutely want nothing to do with you. Then I might understand you having a response such as, I guess I won't call you again. I guess I'll go see someone else again. I guess I'll sleep with someone else now. But to play off your own insecurities of not hearing from someone when you want to hear from them and getting something in the moment that you want it and then making it about your partner, that is just some trashy, low-class, ugly behavior right there. Let's look at that again. 
I decided randomly when it was convenient for me, when I was done with my nails and my other texts and my Snapchat, to call you because it occurred to me. Even though you had texted me many hours before and I hadn't responded immediately or even within a few hours. And because you weren't completely available to me in the exact millisecond in which I called, where I expect that you drop everything no matter where you are and what you're doing, well, I decided in that moment I'm not getting the attention that I want. So now I'm going to fill in the blank, be mean, cheat, throw a fit, have a temper tantrum, go sleep with someone else, go talk to someone else, go get attention from and flirt with someone else. How many women out there like needy men? How many of you out there really want a man to wait by the phone and pick up the moment you call? I'm not suggesting that we should be playing games, but do you really want someone who every time you snap your fingers, he's there for you? Is that what you find sexually attractive in men? Clearly the answer is no. That in itself is one great argument for why someone might not pick up the phone the moment you called, but hello, are we allowed to use the bathroom, go outside without our phones, be on another call, be out playing sports, have left our phone in the car, be in an important meeting, in a class, at the gym, or doing any other activity on the planet that might not involve you, of course. Now let's look at the sentence structure of this statement and what it implies. I called, but you didn't answer. It assumes argumentatively that the man did it on purpose, that he's trying to not take your call, that he saw it, ignored it, but didn't pick up the phone. Now, many people play these games. How many times the phone should ring, when you should call someone, how long you should wait to call them back, if you should be available right away, if you shouldn't press the reject button because that might mean he'll know that you're there and listening, so you let it ring four times before you continue to use your phone and text other guys which is why you might feel so strongly when we don't pick up the phone. So the faux pas is actually that we're ignoring you or trying to avoid you or pretending that we don't want to talk to you when in fact we genuinely just have something going on. But because you make it mean something else, you go off and either jeopardize or ruin or destroy the relationship. I dream about a world where someone can actually articulate their innermost truth. I called you, but you didn't answer, and that made me feel really insecure and needy. So I went to the mall or the nightclub, and I batted my eyes or flirted with 10 other men to make me feel whole and full and like I'm a desirable woman. Wow. I can say that even though I find that quality or trait to be disgusting, that if someone I was close with shared that level of honesty and vulnerability with me and wanted to change, I would be so massively touched. I wouldn't freak out. I wouldn't run away. I'd actually talk them through it and see what could be done. So it's worth taking a deep look into your life and feeling into the areas where you need superficial attention. Is it men flirting with you? Is it men talking to you, texting you, asking for your number, complimenting you, telling you you're pretty, telling you you're good enough? Why do you need that? And why can't you resource it on your own or feel it or know it yourself deep down? And if your happiness depends on the flimsy compliments or attention that you get from other people, is your tank ever full? Is it ever enough? And if you think you need it, but it's never enough, why do you need it? And then think of all the trouble you go through to make sure that you have a constant flow and never ending supply of something that can never fill you. Fleeting, short-lasting, never totally fulfilling attention. 
Our next faux pas is roping another man into your date or time spent with your friend. Sometimes when a man and woman are spending time together, it can be unclear what the purpose of your getting together is. Is it a date? Are you spending time as just friends? For all intents and purposes, I like to assume that if I'm spending time with a woman one-on-one and we're both single and it hasn't been specified, such as a work meeting or to train together or on some sort of project, if we haven't specified a specific reason of why we're together and we're doing some sort of leisure activity, beach, my house, her house, dinner, just hanging out, outing, an event, concert, drinks, something like this, in my mind that's a date and therefore you are with each other for the evening it is a massive faux pas to be spending time one-on-one with someone and you like each other there are good vibes you're not trying to escape the situation or get out or pretend you have to go or say you have an appointment you actually want to be there and then suddenly start roping other men into your hangout time who are perfect strangers i don't mean in a bar or a club where that's very natural for that to happen It's okay to look, it's okay to say hello, it's okay to be friendly. It might even be okay to touch and go give somebody a hug hello. But if your level of needing attention is so great that it's not enough to spend time with the person you're with that you also need it from perfect strangers for that level of validation, look deep within yourself and consider if it's worth changing. As with everything, simply put yourself into a man's shoes. Just imagine you're one-on-one with a man on your date and he just begins speaking to other women, flirting with other women, smiling at them, engaging them in conversation, maybe vanishing for 10 or 15 minutes to go on little tours or stints around the house or the property or the gym or wherever you are at the time being. Imagine you've set up a picnic or some sort of nice afternoon together and he brings another woman who you've never seen in your life and he's never seen in his life over to join you because it might be fun oh hey this is my new friend giselle who i just met over here she's so friendly i just thought you might like to meet her uh no this just doesn't work i mean it works if you're making a porn or you're in a polyamorous relationship or you've each designated each other as your respective wingmen and you go hunting for other people to bring to your relationship and the three of you are going to have sex or some sort of a relationship well then, the more the merrier. But I think for most of us, that's not really what we have in mind when we're spending one-on-one time with someone. How many minutes? (laughs) That's not the right question, is it? How many seconds or milliseconds would you stand for that or be able to handle that before you started feeling insecure, uncomfortable, nervous, angsty, and even make decisions in your mind that you will probably never talk to this guy again. Also, as many people who are not very social will know, it takes some mental energy and a real big shift in gears to be ready to spend time with someone beyond the person who you think you're spending time with. So if your assumption is that you're going out on a date or a relaxing time one-on-one with a girl or a guy and you're hoping to just enjoy their company and then a total stranger, a perfectly random person comes into the mix, well, now you have to be on And now you're in performance mode and you have to find ridiculous questions to ask someone who you couldn't care less about. Hey man, so what do you do? And where are you from? And blah, 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 blah. 
asking all these irrelevant, trite, small talk questions to someone who you don't care about, didn't want to meet to begin with, and already have a bit of resentment because the girl you're spending time with is talking to them. I was talking to a friend the other day who was also in a situation like this, and I just couldn't believe my ears how they were spending time together one-on-one and within only a few moments because they were in an environment where a lot of men were walking around. She simply vanishes, goes off on her own, and starts talking to a perfect stranger. And then, before he knows it, this guy is giving her a private one-on-one tour of the facility. This type of behavior by itself, if you're single and you're with your girlfriends, or it's really clear the type of relationship you have with someone, of course it's not a big deal. You live your own life, you can do what you want. But when you're one-on-one with someone and you break that, it's like not introducing your friend to someone new when they're standing right there. Why I have to explain this stuff is beyond me, but girls, you just don't leave your friend for someone else because you're having FOMO or because you find something else more exciting. Or worse still, because you can't control your desire and need to socialize and get attention from other men. Let me be fair and let me take broader perspective. You never know how things are going to turn out And certainly things that initially seem bad or frustrating can turn out to be gems or a great experience in life. The spiritual lesson in all of this is that generally things work out for the best. You might like the person who gets roped in better than the person you're spending time with. You might become friends with the person who gets roped in. That person might wind up hooking up with the person they rope in, in which case you'll be very happy that they met and never want to talk to that person again. And who knows, maybe this is your crash course into threesomes. There are a lot of outcomes that could come from that, theoretically. But, people, it should be so obvious. If you've made plans to spend time with someone one-on-one, your partner is expecting to be with you only, not to be spending time in a group setting or with anyone else. Unless, of course, you live in a different country where that's the cultural norm. Or have to start to get to know someone new if you're already in a different space. It's very pushy and it's very expectant. Same thing if you are training together with someone or playing with someone or on a dinner date or just going out somewhere to do something fun. We're social creatures. Of course, we can talk to other people and there's no rules about who you can and can't talk to. But when you bring someone else in, when two becomes three, you're forcing the other person to now interact with a perfect stranger that you find interesting. Now, most of your responses for a lot of these is going to be, can't you see that person is just not interested or just not into you? And I have to say that this is not the case at all. There are plenty of people who actually want to be spending time with you, even though they're behaving in a very different way. There are plenty of people who actually want to sleep with you, even though their behavior doesn't necessarily exhibit that. They are experiencing one of a few issues. Number one, they have no oral control. They can't help themselves. Their minds are so scatterbrained, they just need to chat up every person who's nearby because they're so social. They need a constant supply of attention to validate them and make them feel worthy. And I say, look, you can be who you want to be and you could be how you want to be. If you're always off to the next best thing or something that catches your eye and you're so ADD that you can't focus on someone for just a moment, or if you demand so much attention to fill a void inside of you that you need something that isn't getting enough attention from the person you're with that you need to get it from him and him and him and it never gets full, maybe you shouldn't be spending time with someone at all. Maybe you just need to be running around place to place talking to her, talking to him because when does it actually become special? Any woman who's spending time with a man, whether she's interested in him or not, 
if his attention is constantly being pulled to other women, to glancing at them, checking them out, staring at them, talking to them, chatting them up, or even downright disappearing to go do something with a woman that he's never met before while he's spending time with you, in no time at all, the woman who he is with will very quickly feel that she's not desired or interesting or she'll feel intimidated or she'll feel insecure or she'll feel uneasy or she'll realize her self-worth and that her time is more valuable spent elsewhere and she will vanish. So don't do that to men. Okay, faux pas number nine. What are your intentions? Trying to figure out a man's intentions. What does he want? What is he trying to get from me? Being riddled with this question and always asking someone what his intentions are. It seems like an innocuous enough question. It seems like you just want to get to the bottom of it. Do you want a relationship or do you want to have sex with me? Faux pas in this category also include letting him know you won't be having sex with him that night before you have sex with him that night. Before we get any further, if you're trying to figure out another man's intentions, newsflash, he's trying to have sex with you. Even if he also wants to be your boyfriend. And by the way, so do you. If you're attracted to him, you eventually, whether that's in the next five minutes, five days, or five weeks, want to have sex with him. And I can understand that at the bottom of this, you're trying to figure out, does he want to invest, or is this a casual thing, and he's just using me, or it's just something temporary, or he just wants to have a fun time. It's understandable to want to figure that out, and I'm all for expressing that intention. However, sometimes it's not black and white. Sometimes you're just not in a position to commit or do much more than have a nice time together. Now, the interesting thing is, a situation like this happens to millions of people who travel, who are in an exotic place, who want to experience something in a new locale. But if hearing that makes you feel devalued or less than, or like the person is only after one thing, or that he's trying to get something or take something from you, in having a conversation like that, you really put having a great experience at odds with how things should play out with men and women. Another possibility is that you are fundamentally incompatible as a couple, but you've got really hot chemistry. And that's a very good reason why you might be curious about taking on a lover, sharing an experience together, having a great sexual moment or several of them, and doing an exploration into one aspect of your personality or your relationship together. When you ask a man his intentions, in asking that question, it's very understandable. You want to know, can I trust this person? Does he only want sex from me? Will I get hurt? Is he only interested in sex and nothing else? Does he want to get to know me? Is he ready for long-term commitment? Is it all of the above? Will he be the father of my children? What's on the agenda for tonight? It's understandable, but most of us have not thought that far into it. But what we can tell you is that if a man is spending time with you, whether he's looking for a long-term relationship, a friendship, a pen pal, a buddy, a drinking partner, someone to go to the gym with, whatever, if he's single and attracted to you and you slip out of your clothes and say, you know, I've always wondered if you could make me come, what do you suppose the answer is going to be? No, no, Alexis, I couldn't possibly make you come. It would compromise the integrity of our friendship. And by the way, I cannot fathom how many women believe otherwise. How many women thought that they just wanted to be friends or they just wanted to hang out? We've talked about this before in other episodes, but you have to look at how much energy you're putting into something. Just imagine if you're a woman, what it would take for you to bend over backwards for someone, do them favors, pick them up from places, buy him gifts, show up at his house to help out with a project, help him move, whatever it is that you need help with and a man is doing for you. What would it take for you to do that? You'd have to either be very invested emotionally 
or you'd have to consider that person a tremendous friend. Later on, we're going to do an episode about whether or not men and women can actually be friends together, but we'll save that for later. The tricky thing about asking a man if he wants to have sex with you or what his intentions are or what he's trying to have happen tonight is that it reduces everything down to one track. It makes nothing else possible. It allows room for nothing else to bloom and be discovered. It's just, are you planning on trying to have sex with me tonight? And then suddenly your time together becomes a gamble. If he says the wrong thing, he's screwed. So he's much more incentivized to not say the wrong thing. And if he says the right thing, but he really meant something else, then you're still not in the position you want to be. So I think it's very hard for two people to come together and be extremely honest. I'm looking for a new father for my children or someone to be in a committed monogamous relationship with yesterday and I've been going crazy about it. Or I'm hoping to get married in the next three months. If you can imagine admitting one of your deepest feelings like that to someone that you've known for a couple of days or a couple of hours or a couple of dates, that's a lot to ask. And for most people, that level of honesty and authenticity is out of the question. And that's why there's an issue with demanding someone's intentions right off the bat. I get it. There's benefit in understanding that if someone only wants to have sex and you've got no desire for that, to try to get clear on that as quickly as possible. But forcing a man or demanding a man say that sex is his ultimate goal is a tough one because it's always our ultimate goal. Whether it happens because we're only sexually attracted to each other or because we want to have a relationship together, sex is happening. A lot of people lie. It's hard for almost anyone to not tell little white lies. A better question would be, do you only want to have sex with me now or do you want to have sex with me regularly and start dating me? But even that is an absurd question. How can someone answer that properly? How can a man know if you're his type, if you get along, if you taste good, if you're someone who he wants to spend time with? The summation of this is that sometimes if you're comfortable with sex, sex is a way to get to know someone. Sex is a way to discover if you have good chemistry or not, what your pheromones are like, how you interact together, how you move and breathe and talk and sweat and everything in between. It doesn't need to be something that we have to get to the bottom of to figure out the intentions because it's there for both of us. What is the answer to all of this? To me, it's best to have a sense of knowing both people are on the same page. There are sort of telltale giveaways of when something is for sex only. You're getting together late at night. You're going to the person's house. You're spending time in their bedroom. The text messages are ultra-sexual or flirty. One of the best ways I think two people can spend time together is with an open mind and to feel into where it's going, how it feels, and moment by moment come to new choices and decisions together. There have been trillions of times a woman has thought that she didn't want to have sex with someone at first and then that person grew onto her or became more desirable, or they've changed their feelings because the man has shown who he is on the inside. And I'm sure there's been times where men have thought they wanted to have sex with a woman and then later didn't, or regretted it, or got partway into it and realized that it wasn't for them as well. Everything changes moment to moment. And I think the more honest we can be about what things are feeling in the moment without making them so concrete about, I'm not going to have sex with you, and this isn't going to happen, and that's never going to go down, and... It just makes things feel so rigid and tight. And that rigidity continues, even if it's, I'm not going to see that movie. I don't eat that sort of thing. I'm not coming out that late. I don't give you my address. It's just way too much me, 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 me.
It makes the other person dance through hoops. It gives you a false sense of power that you don't actually want. It's not a healthy power to be so demanding and picky and suggestive, and this isn't going to happen, and I'm not letting you come to my place, and you got to pick me up at this time. It just feels militant, and that's a far cry away from closeness. So, to be clear, if you ask a man what his intentions are, and he says, my intention is to have sex with you, you will almost immediately disqualify him, even if he had not said it and you might have had sex with him later. Similarly, the way a man might start off an online dating conversation by saying, hi, are you down to fuck? Your initial answer is almost always going to be, hell no, an unmatch. But if he simply got to know you a little bit or spent a little time to make it comfortable and safe, you might even be down for the same thing. Again, we went over that there's value in knowing someone's intentions if they're like light years away from yours, but don't trap a man or miss out on meeting a wonderful man or spending time with a great guy because you think you've uncovered that he wants to have sex with you because of course he wants to have sex with you. Now, sure, there are plenty of exceptions to the rule. Some of this is a bit generalized. I personally have female friends who I'm thrilled to be friends with, and I don't want anything from them, even if they offer to have sex with me and even if they threw themselves at me naked. However, I put forth that all of this has to do with how attracted you are to your said friend and vice versa. If I have a friend who happens to have always been in a long-distance relationship, or so have I, every time we've been together or spent time together, and then suddenly they find themselves single, then the whole dynamic can change. Now, let's be safe and smart about this. If you know, without a shadow of a doubt, 100% that you, no matter what, under all circumstances, are not going to be having sex, then you should keep your word and... Absolutely, it should be his understanding and guiding principle of how he interacts with you that he should not be moving things toward having sex that night. However, sometimes something else is at play. Women also use this expression as a knee-jerk response to make themselves not feel guilty about what their initial intentions were so that if they change their mind, they don't feel as bad about it because they weren't intending on it. See the difference? I wasn't planning on having sex with you, but I'm so glad I did. It wasn't my intention to come over here and have sex with you, but I'm really glad it happened. There's a strong desire in women to want to look or seem or appear innocent or that they're not like this or that they don't do these sort of things. And I feel like the more men and women can embrace that it's okay for all sexes to do the things that bring them pleasure, the better off we'll be. Of course. We are all allowed to change our mind, and of course we're all allowed to set strong, healthy boundaries about what we're willing and not willing to do, and it's essential that we communicate those as they come up and as they change. But it does get a little gray and really messes with men's heads when you verbalize an intention and then almost immediately break it or show otherwise with your body language. Or you say... I don't have any intention of having sex with you tonight, or I didn't expect this to happen, or I'm so not like this, or I didn't think we'd be doing this. But then you follow that up with having 10 orgasms. It feels like you weren't being honest about your intention. And the words can sometimes feel empty. Always aspire to communicate authentically so your partner knows where you stand and you're not so caught up worrying about how you look and if you look bad or not. This is a big one because on the one hand, we have the radical consent view. Ask before you do anything. Whatever someone says is what they mean. 
And let's be honest, most of us don't say what we mean or say what we feel or even know what we feel, but this is the ideal approach that we're putting forth in society now. May I touch your hair? Yes, you can. Okay, thank you. That doesn't mean you can kiss me. May I kiss you? Yes, you can. Okay, thank you. Now, may I take off your clothes? No, you can't. Yet. Okay, now you can. That doesn't mean I want to have sex with you or I'm going to have sex with you. Can we start having sex? Yes, we can. That doesn't mean we can continue having sex or that you want to finish having sex. So we have an approach that's popular now where it's about always seeking consent with every step that you go. And on the other hand, I've listened to so many women tell me that they feel, and I know I have to word this very carefully, this is not my opinion, these are not my words, these are women telling me that they feel that that level of checking in and consent takes away from or diminishes the connection and takes away from the experience of having someone be healthily dominant with them or made love to or seduced or loved or ravished or adored. Again, to be crystal clear, I fully applaud those who find asking questions all along the way endearing or sexy or a turn on or safe or it helps you through traumas. I'm not making one right or wrong. I'm just sharing both sides of the equation. So what I tend to hear over and over is that many women also have a preference for having someone lead and the surprise that comes from having someone navigate through sensuality and, of course, sexuality. They love that part of the, the excitement or the game or the experience or the lovemaking or the newness. So they actually like that their mind was shifted or the person helped them open into a new perspective of having sex and they find that exciting. So it's really important for you to know which side you're on or if you're somewhere in the middle and to be able to communicate that to a partner. If you find that you're that type of woman, I think it's wonderful to say something like this in the beginning that may sound like, you don't have to go through all of this consent with me. I trust you and I do prefer that you just do it to me. Wow, how sexy is that to be able to hear that consent right in the beginning and to give the man the freedom to navigate the sensual experience from there. Someone else might say, you know what? I don't really like to be touched. I very much like to be in control. I like to know what's happening to me at all times and what's going to happen to me. And I really need you to ask me consent every step of the way. And can you imagine what just saying a simple sentence like that would do to your future sexual encounters? You can make it even simpler and say, I'm really enjoying spending time with you, but it's really important to me that you ask me consent for each sexual step that we take along the way. Generally, if you're big on the consent side of things, it tends to be because there's been some sort of trauma or someone has violated your space or hasn't asked you for consent in the past. And of course, there's absolutely nothing wrong with needing someone to ask you permission every step of the way. It's just important that you evaluate if that is what makes you feel safe first and foremost, and then what turns you on. Because those two things can be very different. You should always be looking out for your safety, number one. But then once you've moved past that, what are the types of behaviors that turn you on from men, even if you think they're right or wrong, or you don't understand why that is? So what is this faux pas about consent really about? Well, it sure as hell does not minimize or create new rules about asking consent. It doesn't suggest that you shouldn't ask for consent. But what we do do 
is dispel a myth that consent has sort of a one-size-fits-all approach or that because this is big right now in our world that everybody wants to be treated that way. The tricky part is when you first meet someone is figuring out who that person is because we don't wear name tags and labels expressing all of our traumas and wounds and where we've been and what we want and what we expect. We all look like people, but we have very different feelings of how we like to be approached. So I think a consent conversation is worth having as soon as it feels comfortable to get a feeling about what a person likes, expects, wants, and most importantly, is turned on by if you're both sexually interested in each other. Navigating these boundaries are always amplified when you're interacting with someone new for the first time. A logical person might say, well, that's where it's about our favorite loaded word, communication. But what the heck does that mean? How much do you want to say and how much do you want to share before, as a woman, the moment is ruined with words? I almost never hear men talking about a moment being ruined by talking, but I always hear women talking about how men ruin a moment with things they say. So how much honesty do you want and how much communication do you want? These are things to think about. You should know before you sleep with someone next time how much you want to share and how much you want to leave to discovery and anticipation. Since you are the gatekeepers of sex, since sex ultimately always and forevermore will come down to your consent and your approval and you allowing us to come inside. How amazing would it be if you took the time to get really clear on your desires, your intentions, what you like and what you need so that you can communicate that to someone really early on and avoid pain, mistakes, suffering, and miscommunication. I think it'd be amazing. I would love to come across a woman who, after flirting with her for a few minutes and getting some really good feedback, she said, you know, I know myself really well and this is what I like or this is what I need or it's important to me that this doesn't happen. Like, wow, what a gift. How have we gone millions of years and not had these types of conversations before? So, for the women who enjoy a man who leads the way, I, for one, understand how nice it can be when a man leads you through an experience that you love and you didn't have to say anything because he read into you and he felt where you were and he listened to your body and you didn't have to use words because he was so tuned in to how you feel. And that's very exciting. It's very tempting. It's very Disney. It's very erotic. And it exists. It actually can be done. It's very, very seductive to be able to show your man with your body and not your words. But I think at the very least, especially if you're meeting someone for the first time and you're going to have sex with them, that there's a sentence or two, ideally a paragraph, about your feelings about that, that you're either okay with that or you're not okay with that. So both of these faux pas, what are your intentions, not sharing your own intentions, and not sharing or coming to your own beliefs about consent and how you are, are a detriment to close and intimate communication and experiences. Because once these are in place, then it can be really nice to do what I hear so many women say they want, which is just to see where it goes. We all want to see where it goes. We all need a little bit of time and breathing room to experience what's going to happen next. So the clearer you can be, the better it is. And then finally, you can be in a place where it's really nice to just let things breathe.
All right. Faux pas number 11. I've been wanting to share this one for a long time, and it's garnered a great deal of my attention. It's called, yeah, I don't want to waste my time, or the all-or-nothing principle. Over a few decades, I've discovered that women generally perceive relationships with men to be one of two things. The fairy tale ending that involves whatever their definition of fairy tale is, committed monogamous relationship forever and ever, so help me God, just you, just me, until the day we both pass away at the same time and then go to heaven together. And then on the other hand, we have these not-so-attractive words for what lies on the other side. Temporary, casual, pointless, transient, empty, and of course, meaningless and time-wasting. So here's the deal with this one. Generally, when women speak about short-term relationships or non-committal, non-monogamous relationships or interactions that are just you and him but are brief, there's one expression that comes to mind. Wasting time. Last I checked, no one wants to waste their time. And that's interesting because we are a culture, in fact, we are a society, in fact, we are a global world of people who love doing nothing but wasting their time. When you go to any country in the world and you see what people do after work, what are we doing? Drinking, smoking, socializing, talking, watching movies, watching TV, watching Netflix, watching Amazon, watching Apple TV, playing on social media, watching YouTube, up on Snapchat, up on Instagram. In essence, what is all of this really? Wasting time. Most of this does not have inherent meaning or value. It's not particularly memorable from the last 10 or 1,000 times that you did it. It's time wastage. That's reason number one to consider not using the expression, I don't want to waste my time, when you're spending time with someone that doesn't match perfectly your idea of how your future should go. But number two, when it comes to this all-or-nothing principle that you either should be moving towards a committed monogamous relationship or have nothing at all, is that you consider anything that hasn't been long-term or didn't work out completely as meaningless. It's very hurtful to your partner, actually, and very dangerous as well, because what you're saying is anything that didn't last forever, which, by the way, is almost anything that you've done in your past, is not worth doing at all. Anything. This relationship only lasted six months or a year or five years, but it didn't work out, so I wasted my time because he wasn't the one. Or even worse, you judge both of yourselves and call it a failed relationship or marriage. And I just think, what a shameful, horrible way to look at life. When you invest months or years of your life into spending it with someone, that's really special. You're learning lessons. You're learning about yourself and what you like and what you don't like. You're learning about your partner and what he likes and what you don't like. And you're also learning about what you will and will not put up with and what turns you on, what excites you, what you do and don't like. There's so much. And to shun away from a temporary relationship and to call it meaningless simply because it doesn't fit into your equation of what you think you need to be happy does not make it meaningless. You can have an encounter with someone that is so special and so unique that it will leave you thinking about it for months to come and you only had sex with them once or you only kissed them or you only got to go on a few dates together. And in my opinion, and in my opinion, these can be some really magical, unforgettable moments. I'm not saying they're better than moments that you can share with someone that you've been with for years and years but they truly, truly go down in your history book and your memory 
as being memorable because that feeling is so special. And I've often said in previous episodes, would you rather never experience skydiving if you can only do it once because it felt so exhilarating and so amazing that you'll never get that same high again? Would you like to never know what it's like to watch a sunset or to experience a sunrise if you were only allowed to ever see one? Because it's so incredibly beautiful, but it's temporary. And if you were never allowed to see one again, would you have never wanted to see it to begin with? Of course you'd want to taste it, feel it, experience it, and know what it's like. If you're in an exotic country and someone offers you something so sacred, so special, you're probably only going to get to taste it once in your lifetime. You can't buy it. You can't import it. It takes them years to prepare this special elixir or this food and you get the chance to taste it. Are you going to say no because it's so temporary and meaningless and doesn't last forever and you can't have it again and again? And are you going to tell me that that's different when you compare it to an interaction with a human being? So too, I invite you to open your mind to new experiences with other people when you're single or when you're in a position to do so. Don't feel like you have to monkey swing from one branch to the next, from one relationship to the next. If you really want to know who you are and you really want to save your life, of course you don't have to go off the deep end and have orgies and crazy sex parties and any of that stuff, but it's really worth your while to have some experiences with multiple partners, not at the same time, but just experiencing what it's like to be with a man where sex is just not an issue. It's so easy to have sex with him. Money isn't an issue. It's so easy to spend time with him. Communication isn't an issue. This guy is able to express what's on his heart. What's it like to be with a musician? What's it like to be with someone who's an extrovert or an introvert? And what actually makes you shine? You cannot read enough books on the planet or listen to enough audio or study enough to know what your preferences are until you've actually lived through them. And you'll be constantly sifting through them until the day you die. So even though, yes, one appealing strategy for relationship is to meet someone when you're 20 and then spend the next 65 years together until one of you passes away, that is one choice. But if you find yourself being single or you have these periods in your life where you do not have to worry about if you called him, if you followed up, are you spending the night tonight? Is it stressful? Are you emotionally down or up? Whew. It can be so nice to have unique experiences that help teach you what you like. At the same time, I'm going to add one caveat for those of you out there who are already very open and experiencing this guy and that guy and this guy and that guy every week, every day, every month, a different man it's really worth your while to explore what you might be running from or what you might be avoiding or what you might be scared to admit in yourself. Of course, there's benefits to both sides. You can have a beautiful, committed, long-term relationship and you can also have short-term experiences that can be tremendously powerful. So in sum, what is the all or nothing principle about? It's again, forcing your idea onto your partner that if this isn't going somewhere into a committed monogamous relationship, that that person is somehow worthless. Let that sink in for a moment. You're making someone feel worthless by telling them or others that they are a waste of your time. And you know what? That type of mentality really dehumanizes people. To say that someone is wasting your time when they took time out of their busy day to shower, get dressed, drive to see you, meet you somewhere, maybe even downright paid for your dinner, your experience, or they took you somewhere special. If you're viewing them or treating them as someone who's wasting your time simply because it doesn't match your view in the moment, 
This is also low-class, trashy, and offensive. And I'm inviting you to have more robust experiences. Enjoy what's delicious about the person that you're spending time with. What's unique? What haven't you seen before? What can you appreciate about them that maybe it doesn't match your worldview for what the rest of your life will look like, but it's what has presented itself in your now. Appreciate, 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 my friends, because that gives us the perfect segue into our 12th day of Christmas or our 12th faux pas. Number 12 is a bonus because it ties in a handful of things together. This one deals with not giving short replies or no replies when it comes to answering texts, emails, or phone calls. Men are also extremely guilty of this. I'm sure we've all seen a classic movie where people used to write letters to each other and sign them, I remain, yours truly. They were addressed to whom it may concern. There was punctuation, commas, exclamation points. And maybe some of you have even heard of a period. It's this thing we put at the end of a sentence when we've completed it. And they're completely absent from almost all text messages in 2018. Even though touching the space bar twice adds a period to your sentence. It's easy to say that Back then, formality ruled and things were a little overdone. But now our pendulum has swung so far in the other direction that the communication level is practically zero. I'll give you an example of something that men do, finally. Often when I'm selling something on Craigslist, people fall into pretty much one of two categories. Someone who I am very receptive to talk to and interact with. And then on the other hand, what I can only call the rude and obnoxious twit. And here's how that plays out. Guy number one. Hey, my name is Bill. I saw your ad on Craigslist for dot dot dot. I was wondering if I could come check it out. I'll be in your area a little later today. Beautiful. Simple, to the point, a couple minor details about yourself that, that don't reveal your identity completely, but still give me a sense that you're someone I can speak to and interact with on an adult level. And we're not even speaking about scammers or people from Nigeria who send you a certain letter and need you to wire transfer money. No, these are real, genuine buyers in the U.S. who communicate like this. 450. That's it. That's the entire email. 450. There's not a question mark. There's not a intro. There's not a hello. Are you talking about listing? Is this a typo? Did you send your email early? It's hard to imagine that someone would communicate that way. So with women, this comes into play a lot, especially when you first start dating someone or you're going on a first date for the first time. And it's this excessive communication with emojis LOLs, ROTFLs, or even worse, hey, I'm bored. What are you doing? And the other part of this is not asking any caring or thoughtful or curious or important questions about the person who you're about to spend time with. What's up and how are you are not genuine questions. They're meaningless. So as a woman, especially if you're very attractive, you may be used to people all the time asking about you, complimenting you, figuring out what's important to you, 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 you. There's someone else in this equation as well. Someone who wants to get to know you, someone who is interested in sharing time with you. So it really makes sense to be equally as interested in them and to ask them questions as well. So for women, what can you take away from this faux pas? It's not communicating in shorthand. Having more conversations between the time that you arrange to get together with someone and the actual date. Asking interesting questions and giving thoughtful replies. 
I know women who exclusively communicate with and have had entire conversations whereby 90% of their responses are LOLs. And I think I can be a pretty funny guy, despite some of the heavy and dry material that we experience on closeness. But I know I'm not making someone laugh out loud with every single one of my comments. It becomes just like filler. Hey, are you around? LOL. Hey, you think about coming out later tonight? LOL. I'm not sure. Why are we communicating that way? Now, lack of communication also comes up when you're planning a date with someone and it's offset by a few days or a week before you're going to get together especially when you've just met someone and the interaction is a little tenuous insofar as maybe you met them at a restaurant or it was a bit rushed and you haven't even had a chance to talk or get to know each other yet, but you're going to have this first date. This also occurs very frequently on online dating. Why are we so scared to communicate up until the moment of the first date and then it's all the pressure of doing that where there's risk of flaking or canceling or not getting together? Why would you not want to, in today's day and age, Share a couple phone calls together and get to know each other a little bit. Enjoy a video chat together and see how the person moves and breathes and talks. Exchange some texts, send each other some photos, share a little bit about your day. All of these things build rapport and build trust and safety when you're getting together. I don't think so much that men are afraid of doing this. I notice more often than not that women just don't have a response for it. They either don't want to reply They don't know the answer of what they're feeling or what they want in the moment, or they give you one word replies or again, LOLs, or don't share much about their day. And they especially don't want to know much about yours other than how are you or how is your day or what are you up to or the most banal and basic questions you can possibly ever be asked. How about what's great about your day today? What new thought did you have that you haven't thought before? Anything exciting happening for you today? Oh, if you're not well, can I be there for you in some way? My God, if I was asked these questions, I think I'd fall in love on the first conversation. And all of this lack of communication is so interesting because I've noticed that once women are in a relationship, it's very difficult for them to stop communicating. So you go from sharing nothing to sharing everything. And I think there's huge benefit to communicating early on and just getting to know each other a little bit because it's really going to set the tone for how you're going to interact. And it's also going to let you know right away if you're sexually attracted to them and emotionally attracted to them. Oh, and we couldn't complete this faux pas without this one. People who openly say the following statement. Hmm, I'm really bad with my phone. I'm just terrible with communication. Yeah, I'm so bad. I'm never on here. I never check my messages. I give my phone number and I match with people online and I use Facebook, but I'm just never available to anyone when they want me. All things I hear from women all the time. Yeah, it's a really bad thing. I I just, I don't check it. I don't look at it. Not a chance. Absolute horseshit. No way. Not a chance. Impossible. There are so few people on this planet who do not actually use their phone for multiple, multiple things a day. My parents, who are significantly older than me, grandparents, great-grandparents, everybody is using a cell phone to some degree now, and we use it for everything from alarms to reminders to calendars. Maybe 15 or 20 years ago, it might have been appropriate to say, you know, I'm not really into this whole technology thing, but now... The idea that someone actually isn't near their phone or doesn't use it has to be so off the grid, it's almost impossible. Now, I am a fan of disconnecting. I love 
not bringing my cell phone with me. I love shutting my phone off at night. I love taking time to be with the people who are important to us and really be with them. Of course, I'm not giving you a hard time for sharing closeness with yourself or someone you care about when your phone is off and you're just spending time with you or them. But it's when you use it as a knee-jerk response for everybody because everybody's complaining. They can't reach you. You're late. You're unavailable. Why would you simply say, I'm really bad with my phone and not want to do anything about it? It's not even complicated to fix. You just look at your phone or your watch or your computer or your desktop or your messenger. Don't feel like typing? Send a voice message. Don't feel like doing that? Give a real, live, adult phone call to the people that you love and you want to talk to. And if they're not there, guess what? Leave a voicemail. And while you're at it, why not leave your own voicemail on your voicemail so people know who you are when they call you and they don't have to listen to that annoying AT&T or Verizon voice that's been the same message for 30 years. Is it too much to ask for you to get over your fear of how your voice sounds so that people don't have to hear the same message they've heard for three decades? You've reached the personal voicemail for 814. I mean, come on. Your Android can't send a voice message to the iPhone, use WhatsApp or use Facebook Messenger. In sum, there's no excuse for poor communication. If you have a job or you've ever had a job, do you show up on time? Do you use your phone to wake you up and check your calendar and alerts for the morning before you head to work? If you're not late to work, why are you late to dates and time spent with your friends? So listen, because I can completely understand your desire to not want to be connected or not be at someone's beck and call at any given moment. I too do not want to be bothered when I don't want to talk or I'm not in the mood or just don't feel like calling someone back or messaging in the moment. I get it. But we can communicate that. Or you can send a brief message that lets someone know, you know, let's just chat tomorrow or another day. Today's not going to be good. This is more about the lying Yes, lying, lying about where you are, lying about what you want, lying about what you're doing, and even lying about how busy you are as if being busy means an inability to communicate and the exaggeration about what's really happening because the truth is we don't not look at our phones. So solutions, I'm inviting you to lengthen your replies when you're communicating with someone for the first time, avoiding words like the letter U for you and LOL and what's up and generic questions like, how are you? When you don't even care how the person really is. And if you do, you probably don't have time or want to hear about their bad day or how amazing their day's been. Don't believe me? Try listening to someone who you're only casually acquainted with for more than a couple minutes and see how long your attention span is. If you really want to hear about someone's day, call them and ask. So lengthening your replies to something that's a little more connected. I, for one, am working on shortening my replies. Obviously, you see I've got a lot to say, and I always look for ways to be more brief so that the people receiving my message have a better experience of interacting with me. I'm one of those people who actually uses punctuation, commas, and even periods, and sometimes I even send voice messages. So certain times I'm always thinking about how can I make this more succinct so it's more enjoyable for people to read. But if you fall on the other end of the spectrum, if you're a Craigslist user who says things like 1200 and give me your bottom dollar price, it's time for a change. Greetings are never going to go out of style. Salutations, saying hello, acknowledging people's existence, 
communicating in between this now moment and the date you have set up for next week, it's wonderful. I, for one, can say I would be 10 times more interested in a woman who, if I was going to meet for a date in one week, sent me a picture of herself here and there, communication, we had a little video chat, we caught up once in a while, things that, again, built rapport for our date versus a girl who's like, sure, next Saturday at 7, and I never even hear from her again until the moment it's going to happen. That's when people flake, that's when people cheat get FOMO, do something else, forget, didn't mark their calendar, decide they're going to be late. And that's behavior that (laughs) we over here at Closeness do not support at all. So there you have it. 12 more faux pas. I feel certain there will be more of these. I'm sure we'll have an interviewee soon who will sit down and do 12 men faux pas of 2018. Also some future episodes to look out for the 30 deadly sins of online dating that will be coming soon. And can men and women actually be friends? If you haven't checked out our Patreon page already, it's patreon.com forward slash closeness. Easy to remember and memorize. And there's all sorts of packages to contribute from $5 to $5,000 with all sorts of rewards in between to get coaching and other surprises as well. And then don't forget, if you like me as your personal coach via text message, you can sign up for the Juicebox app. Use the coupon code CLOSENESS get a week of free coaching, and then move forward with a plan that's super, super affordable. And finally, it's been quite a year, I'm sure for everyone. This may just be the last episode of 2018, so I wish you all a happy and healthy new year. I look forward to talking to you all in 2019, and until then, stay close, my friends.